Hello, everybody. Welcome to A Deeper Conversation, the podcast for Jewish women. This is Yochaved, and I'm so glad that you're joining me for this conversation, which is going to be about happiness. We're coming up on Sukkot, Zaman Simchaseinu, the time of our joy. So we're going to talk about what exactly is happiness, how can we look at it and understand what happiness is through the lens and through the prism of Sukkot, how can we take that understanding and apply it through to the rest of the year, maybe to the rest of our lives. And I also want to talk about, can we choose to be happy? You often hear people say, happiness is a choice. And sometimes that does, to me, sound a little dismissive. I'm somebody who is a therapist by profession, as many of you know. I work with a lot of people who are depressed, clinically depressed. So do we really have a choice to be happy? How, if we have that choice, how can we access that choice? How can we make deliberate decisions that are going to increase our happiness. So we're going to talk about all these things. Before we get into that, though, um, I actually just want to apologize for not posting a Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur podcast. This podcast was started for tefillah. And so you would think that Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur would be the number one time that I would post a podcast about tefillah. Um, A few different factors kind of came together that prevented that. First of all, I was sick for like two weeks leading up to Rosh Hashanah. Really sick. COVID test came back negative, but you know, there are other viruses around, I guess. Um, Sick, fever, whatever. Um, And then I went straight into Rosh Hashanah and I had a ton of company, which I usually don't have on Rosh Hashanah. I like to be reflective on Rosh Hashanah, Davin. I certainly don't want to be sitting around the table speaking Lashon Hara on Rosh Hashanah. And so it's usually not a holiday that I tend to have a lot of people over, but we did have a lot of sleepover company. It was wonderful. It was beautiful, but it was a lot of work also at the same time. And then I did a few events, um, actually one live event, the first live event that I did since COVID started. I was on a panel for the amazing Chizik retreat here in Cleveland. And it was so much fun to be in an actual place with actual people. Some of them are masked, which is, you know, obviously everybody's choice and that's okay. Um, I did do one speaking event, I should say, where everybody was masked and that was super weird. It was very hard to judge the reactions of the people that I was speaking to. And so I would almost rather do a Zoom class, a Zoom lecture than do a live lecture where everybody's masked because you really need to like get a sense of how people are reacting and responding to you. Um, But this was a great live event and it was just wonderful to be with other Jewish women. Um, But because of these events and I was doing a lot of preparation for them, I didn't get a chance to post a podcast. I did, however, go on somebody else's podcast, and I'm going to try to post a link in the description if I could figure out how to do this. Um, It's the Cole Isha podcast. I would highly recommend, if you're looking for content, great conversations with uh, wonderful Jewish women. And in preparation for me being the guest on the podcast, I went back and listened to a bunch of episodes. So I cannot recommend it enough. But that was a conversation about tefillah, not even necessarily about Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur tefillah, but about um, tefillah in general. And it was a really wonderful conversation that I highly recommend. You don't have to check out my episode, but I certainly recommend the Coalition Podcast to anybody who's looking for great conversations for Orthodox Jewish women. Okay, so now, oh yes, one more thing. Of course, if anybody's interested in helping to support this podcast, if you'd like to support uh, an individual episode or um, even more helpful is to donate $5 monthly. You can email me at a deeper conversation 120 at gmail.com. That's also the place to reach me if you have questions, comments, suggestions, feedback, a deeper conversation 120 at gmail.com. You could also follow me on Instagram at a deeper conversation. And if you are able to donate $5 monthly to help keep the podcast going and you feel like you're getting value for it, you can go to maverickpodcasting.com and click on the link to my page. Okay, so now let's talk about uh, happiness. Let's talk about tukas. Let's get into all that. So I think the first thing that we want to ask is what exactly is happiness? 
I actually think if you think about it, I don't know if you had an initial response when I asked the question, if you had an idea, if you have feedback, I'd certainly love to hear it. Um, But I think most of us don't stop and think about what exactly is happiness. Or we have like this sort of vague idea of positivity that comes along with a lot of positive experiences. And we all just sort of put it into one basket, call it happiness. And we don't distinguish between those different positive emotions. Sometimes I think when we say happiness, we're referring often to the symptoms of happiness, laughing, smiling, enjoying ourselves. And I don't think that those are happiness. I think those are symptoms. And very often in our society and in this area, as well as in other areas, we are often treating symptoms rather than the disease itself. So we take an Advil for a headache and we stop, don't stop to think like what behavior is causing the headache? Where's this headache coming from? As long as we don't feel the pain, we're very happy sometimes to just not necessarily deal with that. And I think the same is true as happiness. So if we're experiencing the symptoms of happiness, we're laughing, we're smiling, we're having a good time, we're enjoying ourselves. So we don't necessarily stop to think always, is this actually happiness? And if it isn't, how do I get happiness? And maybe actually asking yourself in the moment, what is this feeling that I'm having? Because there are those, you know, pleasurable experiences that are wonderful and we should try to maybe get more of them or we should try to increase our experiences when we're having those moments. But I think it's important for us to sort of have that definition because if you really want to be happy, you certainly can't get it if you don't know what it is. I think that certainly for Americans, we have in our mind the idea of happiness as sort of the ultimate goal. Like if you ask most people, what do you want for your children? Very often they'll respond and say, all I want is for my kids to be happy, right? You hear parents say that all the time. And I actually don't even think that that's really true. I think that's a reflexive thing because again, as Americans, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, we have in mind that that happiness is the ultimate goal. And the truth is, is that if you think about what the founding father said, I'm going to darshan a little bit here now in the Declaration of Independence, but I do think it's really important and very profound. Obviously, they didn't say life, liberty, and happiness. They said life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So you can suggest maybe that the founding fathers thought, well, happiness means different things to different people. Or maybe they thought, listen, we can't guarantee that somebody's going to be happy. All we can give them is, you know, get the government out of the way and give them the opportunity to try for their happiness, right? Like that's what they meant. I have a different idea. And maybe this is not, you know, where the founding fathers were going with this. But I certainly think it's true is that it's the pursuit of the happiness where we find our happiness, Meaning that happiness is, in a way, always a little bit something that we're going to be striving for and we're going to be working towards. That doesn't mean that we're not going to have, again, those moments of joy. Joy is not happiness. I feel like joy is something that happens in the moment. Joy is an experience. You know, you're at a simcha or a wonderful meal or something happens where you just have this incredible, like, moment of I don't know, fun even. It could be all those things, but I do tend to think of joy as something that's sort of momentary. It lasts while it lasts. Um, We certainly try to get more of those experiences, but it isn't enduring. And I see happiness as something that's more of like an emotional state that persists even when when I'm not necessarily having fun or I'm not with the people that I enjoy being around or circumstances happen maybe that are unfortunate. So I feel like happiness, and I guess I'm answering a little bit about what ha- what happiness is, but I'll get to even more definitions as we go along. But happiness is an emotional state. 
And the pursuit of that happiness is in and of itself part of what makes us happy. So a lot of times you hear in the sort of modern psychological language um, how important it is to be present. It's like a very big buzzword. Be in the moment, be present um, as an antidote to anxiety maybe, you know, be in the here and now. I have to tell you, I think this is really bad advice. Um, there are obviously times in your life where you want to be very present. I remember the first simcha that we made, it was my son's bar mitzvah. Um, and I was not present at all. I was so worried that everything should go right and that all my guests were having a good time. And did I say hello to every person who had come? And I missed the entire event. And afterwards, I realized that I missed the entire event. Um, and I decided moving forward, whenever we make a simcha, I am just going to do all the planning, all the prep. I'm going to get there and I'm going to, I'm just going to be present. I'm going to just let everything else go. And Baruch Hashem, we were Zohar to make another Simcha. And I did that. I have done that since. And it really just, you know, makes that time so much fun. It was so enjoyable. I was present. I wasn't worried. I was enjoying. I wasn't distracted from anything else. And it was a real conscious effort to be in the moment. So there are those times when we need to be in the moment and we need to be present. But as a general formula for life, this is not going to make you happy. First of all, we are our memories. That's why having dementia for, a per, you know, if anybody's experienced uh, an older family member having dementia, Alzheimer's disease, it's the most devastating thing in the world. We are our past. We are our memories. That's who we are. We need to constantly be, first of all, learning from our mistakes, so looking backwards for that reason alone, um, but also just reflecting on all the wonderful experiences that we've had and what we've learned from them and how they've made us the person that we are right now. So we need to always be learning looking back, learning from history, whatever it is. And of course, we always need to be planning and anticipating the future. And we need to be preparing and we need to be recognizing the results of our actions and the consequences of the things that we do. And how if I do this, it's going to impact my children or it's going to impact my coworkers or the people around me or my community. And if I'm not thinking forward and thinking about what's going to happen, what can I achieve? If I don't have a goal you can't possibly be happy because happiness isn't necessarily, um, you know, the the end, uh, I guess, like destination, I guess those the word I'm looking for, but it's an active process that means I'm forward thinking and I'm in the pursuit of something that's better than what I have right now. Martin Seligman is the uh, author of a book called Learned Optimisms, one of the founders of the sort of positive psychology movement. And he connects the idea to envision a bright future, so optimism, to a lack of anxiety. So you need to be able to see in the future, you need to be able to see a goal, and that goal needs to be positive. You need to have an optimistic outlook, which can be cultivated. And maybe if I have time, I'll get into that, or maybe a subject for a different podcast. But that is part of the happiness. It's not the goal. It's the process of how I interact with all the different things that are going on and how I see my future. So what exactly is happiness? Did I answer the question yet? So I sort of started to answer the question because I said that happiness is an emotional state that's constant. But if we look to Sukkot, it can help us, I think, a little bit, maybe break it down even further to what true enduring happiness really is, aside from the fact that obviously, like I just said, it's a process. But Sukkot is Mansam Chasenu, it's a time of our joy. 
and what is going on on Sukkot that makes it such a happy time. So the first thing that happens on Sukkot actually is that it's right after Yom Kippur. So we just had a month of El. We had Rosh Hashanah where we declared that Hashem is our Melech and we hopefully made a full accounting of all of our sins. We started on after Yom Kippur with a clean slate. Not just a clean slate, but even more importantly, a renewed relationship with our Creator. And so that is the happiest place that a person could be. Chazal call Yom Kippur the happiest day of the year. And if you don't feel like it's the happiest day of the year for you, that's okay, because getting to that place is a process. I remember as a kid just dreading Yom Kippur. And then when I was a young mother, it was like, okay, let me just get through this day. And then I got to a place where I appreciated Yom Kippur. And I think I can say that now I'm at a place where I really do look forward to the experience of Yom Kippur because there is a certain transcendent happiness where we fully leave behind all of our physical needs and all the noise that we're always involved with trying to meet those physical needs. And we can just be connected on a completely non-physical level to the source, to the source of our neshama, to Hashem. And that is a transcendent happiness. So that feeling of connection to Hashem, that feeling of immediacy that I have a close relationship with Hashem closer than at any other time of the year, combined with the fact that hopefully I just got rid of a whole ton of baggage on Yom Kippur, that is happiness. And that's a feeling that is not necessarily determined by, you know, short-term experiences? Am I eating a good meal? Do I, uh, am I having a good time right now? These other types of things that we sometimes think of as being related to our happiness, but aren't. So, you know, I think of physical pleasure as, I don't think of physical pleasure as being temporary. Physical pleasure is temporary by very definition, right? You look forward to a meal, let's say, and the meal is delicious, but you eat it and it's gone. And so, you know, the most you can do is say afterwards, like, wow, that was a good meal. Or do you remember the time we had that great meal? But you can't really recall that feeling of pleasure. You can't call that back. You could just remember that you had it, right? So all pleasurable experiences that are physical, because physicality is by definition temporary, our bodies are temporary, our experience on this physical earth is temporary. So physical pleasures are temporary. Our neshama, our soul, is eternal. And when our neshama feels that true joy, that experience, that connection with Hashem, that is an eternal feeling that lasts forever. And it's not limited to that specific, that specific, okay, I could talk guys, that specific physical, sorry, moment or that specific physical experience that is creating the dopamine, that's creating the happiness, that's creating the feelings of like euphoria or whatever it is that we're calling happiness. So anything that I can do that's going to increase my spiritual joy is by definition going to be much more lasting because the platform that I'm engaging in is a lasting platform. It's an eternal platform that lasts forever. Obviously, that's what eternal means. So I think that that's a very important thing to think of. And now the truth is, is that we as Jews have this wonderful thing that we do where we take the physical world and we elevate it. We don't run from the physical world. We don't indulge in it excessively, but we find a way to use the physical in service of the eternal. And very often those physical pleasures are a bridge, are a way for us to open up into the spiritual world. The Chavetz Chaim, in fact, says that food is how our physical and spiritual bodies connect and how we access through the physical world, we access the spiritual world through 
food, which is why, of course, for every yantif, every chag, uh, there's a food component involved. Even with Yom Kippur, I mean, obviously on Yom Kippur, we're just fasting, but you eat extra the day before Yom Kippur, not because you're hungry or because you're fasting, but because the eating itself is a mitzvah, even more of a mitzvah than fasting, right? So if you could eat, what do they always say? If you could eat for the sake of mitzvah, that's even more important than fasting, right? Positive things are always harder to do, and we're going to get back to this idea. It's sometimes easier to deprive and to you know feel bad about things that are sad than it is to be happy um, on command, and like I said, we're going to get into that uh, a little bit later on in the discussion about happiness. Um, but we then we fast all day. And then, of course, it's all about, you know, what we're going to break our fast on. And, you know, I just t- generally tend to have a bowl of soup and call it a day. But I, my grandfather would have, a, you know, he would break his fast on a piece of cake or whatever it is, wait a half hour and have a full fleshek yantif suda on Matsyom Kippur. And I think that that's probably really the correct way to go about it. I, you know, I physically can't really imagine that. Maybe one day I'll be on the Madrega to be able to do that right now, not so much. But we do take those physical pleasures and we elevate them and we incorporate them into our eternal spiritual experience um, by virtue of the beautiful mitzvot that we have. So you could call that connection to the eternal, that connection to Hashem, ultimately, I think, if we want to give it a name and understand how practically that translates into our happiness as meaning. And I think what I said before, earlier on in the podcast, I said people say that, you know, all they want is for their kids to be happy. And I don't really think that's true. I think if you would really drill down and ask yourself what you mean when you say that, if, if you're a person who says that or has said that, or if you would ask a parent who says that, really what they want for their child is a meaningful life. We, they don't just want their children to be happy. They want their children to have a meaningful life, live a life of purpose, And they also want their children to actualize their potential. So if you think about this, if your child was just, you know, I don't know, happy, let's say, doing, you know, something not meaningful, doing something that like didn't contribute at all to the world. Um, He said, he says he's happy, but he doesn't have any kids, never wants any kids, you know, doesn't want to get married, whatever it is. He's just, you know, doing his own thing. Um, Would that be like, yeah, that's what I want for my kid? Would that, is that what you would say? to that sort of scenario, if you knew your child maybe wasn't necess- was maybe going through some difficult struggles, but, you know, really was living a life of purpose where they were positively impacting the world, where they were making a difference, where they had meaning in their lives, um, they might have struggles, but they, they would really be happy if that's really the kind of life that they were living. And if you knew that they were using all their abilities and talents that they were given by Hashem to the fullest capacity... That's what we really want for our children. And so that's really what happiness is, those things, having a life of meaning, having purpose, being able to articulate what your purpose in this life is, and then your life is structured around achieving that purpose, trying to maximize that purpose, trying to do more to, you know, be the kind of person who can affect that purpose um, in a bigger and a better way. And of course, using the talents that Hashem has given us to the fullest extent of our capabilities. If you could do that, you'd go to sleep every day a completely happy person. And so 
that I think is really the first definition of what happiness is. And I guess even in that description, I maybe gave some practical tools about how to go about achieving that state, which again, a constant emotional state, not something to do with limited experiences or temporary uh, pleasures in this world and not to knock those because they're great. But that happiness, I think you could sort of sort of start to see why Sukkot is sort of the key to letting us know what a happy life is and what happiness is and how to get it. Okay, so what's the next thing? So another reason, obviously, why we're so happy on Sukkot is because of the Sukkah. What is the Sukkah? It is Hashem's protection. The Sukkah is a, um, you know, it is a symbol of the clouds in the desert that protected us from all the uh, the elements arrows, weather, whatever it is, Hashem's protection over us. And we go out into this flimsy structure that is not secure and that, you know, blows in the wind. It, you know, it's not strong. And we feel completely and totally safe because that we know that Hashem is protecting us. And safety and security are a part of happiness. But that safety and security needs to be genuine because we never feel as secure as when we're sitting in our sukkah, obviously in a physically unsafe environment because we're outside exposed to the elements, but we're genuinely feeling that the real protection is coming from Hashem and that is a physical thing that we see in the sukkah and that we actually walk into. That physical experience of walking into your sukkah makes it not just like a theoretical idea that we think about and that it's a nice idea, yes, Hashem protects us, but we actually do something where we're acting out, it's like, I don't know, like docudrama or something like that, right? Or, you know, some sort of experiential therapy where you're acting out uh, the intervention. We physically walk into the sukkah, we sit there and the pine needles fall into our soup and we're cold and we, you know, it will certainly if you live, you know, in the... Um, on the East Coast, like in the Northern East Coast above, I don't know, maybe Maryland, you're cold, hopefully in the sukkah. Um, I had an experience a few years ago to uh, be in Florida for sukkahs. It was so hot. It was so bizarre, I have to say. As somebody who's used to like putting on their sweaters, like it just really felt jarring to be so hot in the sukkah. And I know those of you who are listening who are in Israel are thinking, yeah, we're so hot every single year because I know Israel also can be really hot and people listen to this podcast from all over the world. So I'm just talking about my limited experience. But to me, sukkah is all about cold. I have my sukkah sweater that was my grandmother's sukkah sweater that I wear every single year and it's like the warmest thing in the world. And it's part of the experience of being cold in the sukkah. I love it. Um, I just, I love that like cold, you know, not too cold, obviously, because too cold is not good either. But certainly that like fall sukkah feeling is just amazing. The seasons have turned when you walk into the sukkah. um, And you know that you know, it's just, it's a new year, the school year starting, it's just a new opportunity. But that feeling of security of Hashem is taking care of me, that is also happiness. That is what contribu- contributes to the idea of Zman Simchaseinu, the time of our joy. What is anxiety? Anxiety is a fear of the future, a fear of the unknown. What's going to happen to me? How am I going to manage? Who's going to take care of me? And if you can actualize that feeling, that amuna, the bitachon, of not just knowing but feeling that Hashem is taking care of you and all your needs were going to be met and Hashem loves you and has your back. Again, you'd go to sleep 
totally happy every single night. Now, obviously that's a goal and it's something that we need to work on. All these things are goals and all these things are going to, we're going to work on, which is why we're going to talk about the next topic of like, can we choose happiness? Can we change our, or manipulate our emotions? But recognizing what the happiness is and how, or, or if I recognize the elements of what it is that makes up happiness, then I could start to make the decisions and the choices and do the things that are going to allow me to stay in that state. So now we need to ask that question, can we choose to be happy? Is happiness really a choice? And we have a positive commandment to be happy on Sukkot. So we know obviously that it is a choice that we can make. Obviously, we wouldn't have a commandment if we couldn't do it, right? So if we have a a commandment, a positive commandment that we're supposed to be happy at a certain time or we're supposed to be sad at a certain time, that means that we do have the power to manipulate and to change our emotions, We can do that maybe by arranging our thoughts accordingly, and it's certainly a lot of hard work, um, but we we can do it. And it is a lot of hard work. The Vilna Gon, in fact, says that the hardest positive mitzvah in the entire Torah is to be happy for all eight days of Sukkot, right? Which is an incredible thing, because what he means, obviously, isn't just being happy like, you know, during the meal or momentarily, but it means sustaining a level of joy and simcha for eight days straight without ever having a dip, that is a really, really hard thing to do. So the short answer is yes, we can manipulate our emotions. The long answer is not so fast because we need to recognize that, you know, getting to that point of self-control where we're in charge of our emotions is an effort and it is something that you don't just get to have just because you know it's possible. It's like, well, I see somebody do this incredible physical feat, let's say, where they're, I don't know, like doing a flip. And I look at it and I say, yes, it's possible that a person can do that thing. But I personally would kill myself if I tried to do that because, you know, I'm not trained and Uh, you know, I don't know how to do it. I don't have the skill and all those things. Now, the thing with happiness is that the skill is accessible and we have to be able to be willing to train ourselves to get to that point. But we need to recognize that it isn't necessarily something that's just going to be, you know, easy. Anything that's very meaningful anyways is not going to be easy. I always ask people when I speak, I'll say, what's the thing in your life that gives you the most joy? that gives you the most satisfaction and meaning in your life. And just think about it. Don't tell me what it is. And if you're listening to this podcast, think of it, think of it in your head. And then I always say to my audience, I'll say, I guarantee without asking and going around the room and asking you guys what that thing is, it's also the thing that you work the hardest for, whether it's your kids or your career or a relationship or whatever it is, the thing that gives you the most joy is the thing that you work the hardest for. So anything as significant as a state of happiness, emotional peace and serenity is something that's going to require a certain amount of output, I guess. Um, But we're helped by the fact, first of all, that we have this discussion about what exactly happiness is. We recognize the fact that it's something that we need to work towards. We don't just take for granted that happiness is going to come to us, certainly not through the temporary physical experiences, which may be nice and may be pleasurable, but they're not happiness. Um, We recognize, of course, that fact that we can achieve those if we work on those other things. So going back to sort of what I said in the beginning, a lot of times when we're trying to be happy, we address the symptoms of happiness. So we think that, you know, if I create a situation maybe um, where I have all my friends around, right? So I'm going to be so happy, right? But yeah, I might be happy, but on a deeper level, what's my relationship like? Am I nurturing my relationship like with each of these friends, right? So, you know, the symptoms are, 
you know, like, am I smiling? Am I laughing? Am am I enjoying myself? But the happiness is that sustained emotional state. And that's sort of what we want to keep in mind that we don't want to be distracted so much by the symptoms. Now, some people, it's also true, and this is a little bit of a, I'm taking just a quick side, side journey here, but it's very important that when we understand what happiness is, we don't confuse natural temperament with happiness, right? So some people are just naturally very smiley. I have one of my children was just a very, very smiley baby. And my friend had a baby at the same time. And her baby was very not smiley. And we would sit the babies down like in their little seats. And my baby was smiling and laughing and giggling and her baby just like straight faced. And she used to say to me like, how do you get your baby to smile so much? I cannot get my baby to smile. And I'm like, well, I just kind of have a smiley baby. Like she was just born that way. Right. And you see kids who are just sort of naturally smiley and have a very um, positive temperament. There's a temperament that's just more agreeable. And some people are born that way. That doesn't mean for those people that they're necessarily happier than the people who are not visibly smiling and laughing all the time. It may be something that comes a little bit easier to them in the long term, but it could also be true sometimes that like anything else in life, when we have to work for something, we generally hold on to it better. What we get is a more sincere expression of happiness or a sincere version of it when we have to work for whatever it is that we're working for, right? You know, the smart kid who like everything comes easily for in school and they get straight A's until like, you know, about eighth, ninth grade. And then all of a sudden they have to start working and then they like kind of completely fall apart because they never had to like learn the skills that they needed. And this is the same thing. Like a person who's sort of naturally upbeat never really had to think about like why they're in a bad mood or like working through their moods or having to deal with the issues that come along with, you know, that emotional temperament. And so, you know, a lot of times that person can actually achieve a lot greater things than the person who, for whom things come very naturally. So I guess the answer is yes, happiness is a choice. It is something that we can choose. It isn't necessarily something that we choose um, that's easy because as we define happiness, living a life of meaning and purpose, um, those are not easy things to do. But also remember, if we go back to what I said about the founding fathers, is that the pursuit of those things is in and of itself happiness. And the journey towards those things is itself the goal. The idea that I'm always actively trying for something that's positive, that I always have a positive destination, then in the moment of working towards that destination, I am by very definition happy in the moment. I wish you all a wonderful circus. Oh, okay. I have one last thing to say. This is nothing to do with happiness, but I do want to mention this thing to you. For those of you who are following my podcast and who have listened to a lot of the old episodes, two of the people who I've had on the show, two amazing women, and actually two of the most downloaded episodes. Um, one, Shandel Symes. Shandel is a person, and actually this is, okay, maybe this is actually about happiness because Shandel is a woman who um, if you listen to the episode, you know her story. She and her husband were driving with their nine kids, and actually she was pregnant with her ninth kid when they got into a terrible car accident, and her husband became a quadriplegic from that experience. And she, if you listen to the podcast, you know how positive and uplifting her story is and how happy Shandel is as a person. Um, certainly, you know, she had many moments where she was crying, and I was actually talking to somebody not that long ago who's telling me, oh, I love your podcast. And I said something about, oh, did you listen to the episode with Shane's And she said, you know, I just couldn't bring myself to listen to that one episode because um, 
it's just too sad. And I'm like, no, you have to listen to it. It's not sad at all. It's so uplifting and so inspiring. And I know a lot of you have listened to it because it is, like I said, one of my most downloaded episodes. But on the podcast, Shanesville said that she was hoping to get her book published. And she sent me a few weeks ago a message to say that her book is coming out soon. And I'm so happy for her. You know, her husband's blog was called The Rolling Rabbi, which he um, he set up when he was, you know, after he was a quadriplegic. But um, you know, and he's since obviously been nifter, but I'm so happy that she's going to have the book and I'll keep you posted about the details. So the other podcast that I wanted to mention, one of my other most downloaded episodes, which was an amazing episode was with Rochi Koval and she's so articulate and she is so, um, open about her experiences. We talked about raising kids, raising kids who are not from, we talked about the sort of state of the from world. And it really, somebody actually emailed me after I posted that episode. And I'm not kidding. I'm not making this up. She said, I listened to that episode three times already. I'm like, wow. Okay. I mean, I knew it was good, but I didn't think it was like three times good, I guess. But hey, it was an amazing episode. Um, And Rochi's book is coming out on October 6th. It's called... um, Oh, shoot, I don't have it in front of me. Rochi Koval, October 6th on Amazon. It's a book about Musar. It's a book about working on your um, working on your personality, working on your character traits. Um, on the next episode, I'm going to correct myself with the name of the book. I can't believe I forgot it because I had it written down somewhere, and then I'm recording in a different place. But her book is coming out on October 6th, and I also, by the way, I'm not getting, uh, there's no, no advertising fee for either one of these plugs for these books. It's just that these women are amazing. They were on my podcast, so you guys got to know them, um, and whatever they have to say is certainly worth hearing. So on that note, um, I'm wishing you all a wonderful Yantif. Um, I hope everybody has just uh, a, a wonderful sukkah. I hope you guys get to eat in the sukkah. hope it doesn't rain. hope the weather's good. And I'm going to be back in Ritzashem after Yontif with I've got some great interviews lined up, um, great ideas for some future podcasts. Please be in touch with me at deeperconversation120 at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at a deeper conversation. I would love to hear from you. Chag Sameach, everybody.